0: Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. Have you ever felt like you couldn't trust God to keep his promise to take care of you? Maybe you felt betrayed by God or even felt like God can't exist because he doesn't give you what you pray for. Or maybe you felt like it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission and you did what you wanted even though you knew it was wrong because you also know you are forgiven. Better to be safe than sorry And every broken piece of your life highlights his love through his forgiveness, right? Let's join Curtis as we dive deeper into
1: Romans 3. Today we're going to look at Romans chapter 3 again. continue with Romans, looking at Romans chapter 3. Those of you online are listening to the recording. Good morning. Welcome to you. Glad you've joined us. So I live in an apartment, uh, part of a condo complex, and I am not part of the leadership or the board at all. And so stuff happens in the building that I get told about, but I don't know any details. And so one of those things is they've decided to add more lights to the hallway in the building, which is great because there's not a lot of light. And my friend said it reminded him of a correctional institution, which is a very dark, dark hallway. And of course, along with uh, the new lights in the hallway, they're repainting it and replacing the carpet, which was uh, very old. And the work started back in October, and it's taken so much longer than I had expected. Um, and because I don't know, I'm not in leadership, I don't know what's going on, I'm, all I'm observing is what I see. So months ago they did the lights and then they began painting and then they, I thought they were sloppy with the paint cause they got it all over the door frames and then found out a couple weeks later they were painting the door frames. Okay. And then I waited, we have one window in the hallway and the frame around the window wasn't painted. And I'm like, what are they doing? And I just want to start pestering somebody cause I'm not trusting the process. Finally, I ask my uh, RM, are they doing the frame? Yeah, yeah, they're gonna spray paint it later. Okay. So then they do the, the flooring and they do a nice job with the floor, but they don't put on the, the carpet baseboard, the trim around it and it waits and it waits. And I'm like, are they, are they, have they forgotten? Are, are they gonna get to it? And I noticed that the floors above me are all done. And when I walk the stairwell, I noticed that the floors below me are all done and they've all got their trim on. I'm like they've forgotten. They've forgotten. They've totally forgotten. And I want to call someone up, I want to talk with someone, but the other part of me is going, learn to trust. I'm, you know, I'm learning that I don't always trust the way I need to, just learn to trust. You know that place where you have to trust and you just don't want to? You just want to kind of ask some questions. And so anyway, I wait. Finally. The carpet guys are back, and they're carpeting the ramp on the main floor. I'm like, oh, I can ask them where they're at. And did you possibly forget to do the fifth floor? I'm going to trust. So I did a, a little victory moment. I went up to them and thanked them for the work they were doing and said they did a great job. And the guy talked. I'm not going to mention the fifth floor. I'm not mentioning the fifth floor. And I left, and I didn't mention it. I'm like, I am learning. And then later that day, they finally got to the fifth floor. <sighs> it's just... Everything's right in the world again. <laughs> They've got the trim on the walls. Do you know that experience, though, where it's just it's just hard to trust when you don't know what's going on? Like what Christine was saying about planting a garden and you'd have to lead, but you don't exactly know what's going on. Or what Barry was saying about having some doubt and some skepticism, and it's good and it's healthy, but it can go too far. So that kind of skepticism, that what what is really happening here is filtering now into the book of Romans. And at the start of chapter three, Paul has to address some questions, and he does it really quickly, but I suspect they are questions he has heard over and over again for 25 years about his message that we can be reconciled, we can be restored with God by just trusting Jesus. We don't have to obey the law, we don't have to do all these different things, we don't have to become Jewish to become Christian, And people who would be from that background would just start to ask questions. And so he quickly rattles through three questions, giving kind of like the highlight reel of the answer. And we're going to unpack that today. And then in the rest of chapter 3, he reminds us once again of what we've been looking at for three chapters, that everybody is guilty before God. There is nobody good before God. We are all of value, but no one's good in their own right. And then he paints a picture of the answer. He begins to explain out how it is that we can be saved and reconciled through faith. So let's get into chapter 3. Let me offer a prayer, and then we'll begin. Father, Father, your word contains life. And you speak through your word uh, in a way that you don't speak through other material. You are constantly drawing our heart. To ponder the truths that are here. Father, in the passage today, would you please speak to us? Would you show us how the questions that Paul looks at are actually still questions that float around? And would you also help us to see your character, your goodness, and the magnificence of your grace? your righteousness that you offer through Jesus. Lord, draw us to yourself as we look at your word, that you would be glorified um, and that your praise would be on our lips. Father, is there anything else? Lord, yeah, I pray that we would have understanding. Yeah. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So Romans chapter three, and I'm gonna read the, the whole bunch of it. So again, he's just coming off of explaining that no one is righteous, including not for the Gentile, not for the Jew. What then is the advantage for being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God is unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. But, some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But, someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people Whether Jews or Gentiles are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies, snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in him. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, Does this mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So we'll stop there. So imagine someone is talking to Paul and Paul himself is a Jew and they say to him, we are God's chosen people. He called us to walk with him. He promised to be our God, to be faithful to us. And the covenant of circumcision was the sign of his promise To us, we carry it in our body. Are you suggesting there's no advantage here? Which is a way of saying, are you undermining the value of God's covenant? Are you undermining the value of all the promises in the Old Testament? Does this message of grace through faith in Jesus Christ means God's promises to his people to treat them as special, to work in a special way through them, that those promises don't matter. Are you you dismissing all of the Old Testament? And Paul answers it by not pointing to blessing, but by pointing it to responsibility. You have a responsibility. The Jews were given a responsibility. And within that responsibility, they had privilege and they had blessing. Blessing. And the privilege, their responsibility, sorry, the the privilege of responsibility was to carry the Old Testament scriptures. God gave them special oversight to the task of carrying His word, special protection, a special enablement to copy and transmit the scriptures accurately over centuries. And then they had special access to read and hear the scriptures they could learn what does it mean to honor God and to live his ways in the culture that they found themselves. So they're given a responsibility and then there's a blessing, there's a privilege within that responsibility. But that doesn't mean, sorry, there were many, there were many more blessings in the covenant, promises to follow the covenant, but all of those blessings and promises doesn't mean that they were not accountable for their behavior there were also curses that if you don't do your side of the of the covenant, there's going to be curses. So he's begun to answer the first question. Are you undermining God's promises to us? God's promise to bless was found in the responsibility he gave you to do something. And then he goes on. If God's people are unfaithful, because they were, does that mean God is unfaithful? Or you might say it, is God only faithful to us as long as we are faithful to him? Is God only faithful to us as long as we are faithful to him? And if so, is that even what faithfulness is about? So if I make a mistake and I fall if I make a mistake and disobey God, then I'm under the same judgment as everybody else? How is that special? How is that God's faithfulness to me? And he responds with, there's a difference between being faithful to you or being faithful to me and being faithful to himself. When we say God is faithful, we're saying he is faithful to himself. We're not saying he's faithful to you to do, for you to do whatever you want. You ever heard somebody say, I don't believe in God because I never get what I pray for or some version of that? That's this idea. God doesn't exist, God's not faithful to me because whatever I ask, I'm not getting. And Paul's saying that's not what faithfulness means. Faithfulness means we understand who God is and he's consistent. And we know he has a plan to save the world. He has a plan to bring glory to himself. He has a plan to restore and heal this planet. And he will be faithful to being loving and patient and merciful and graceful how you respond within that plan and that and his character that's up to you so this is the lesson to to learn about faithfulness so apply this to how you pray or how you think about god or how you bring your requests to god how often do our prayers are our prayers some version of please help me to get what i want right please help me to find a better paying job please help me to get more money please make so and so treat me better please make so-and-so talk nicer to me. And that's about, please be faithful to what I want. And those are, I mean, those are sincere wants. But perhaps pause in the prayer and consider what's God's agenda? What is God like? What is his plan? Because I know he's going to be faithful to that plan. How can I shift my prayer to be in line with that plan? So instead of, please give me more money at work, what about help me to represent your character well at work? Or if you're being underpaid, like um, your, your boss really is not being just with you, help, uh, you know, please bring justice to all the employees in this company. Like it, it's, it's shifting it away from it being about me to who are you and what are the kind of things that you do? Instead of please make so and so talk nicely to me, instead, help me to speak truthfully and kindly when I talk to that person. Help me to be patient with them. But, you know, kindly, but truthfully. Because if they are hurting you with your words, you can speak truth and say, that's hurtful. I mean, you can do that. God is shaping you to be like Jesus in your thoughts, in your words, and in your action so we can pray along those lines. So Paul has answered their quickly quickly answered their concern about the covenant he's talked about god's faithfulness now there's a third question verse five but some might say my sinfulness serves a purpose for it helps people to see how righteous god is it isn't fair then for him to punish us verse seven but someone might argue how can god condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory so this is actually the question about justice If God's goal is to bring glory to himself and my badness makes his goodness seem more clear, how can he punish me for doing what helps him achieve his goal? That makes sense? If my sin makes him look good and his grace is revealed by forgiving me, I'm helping him accomplish his goal, why am I really this bad? And you might think, well, that's kind of a circular argument. But there's also a sense of the end justifies the means. Does the, end, does the end, the goal, justify the process? You know, the process is gross, but we get where we wanted to go. So isn't that valid? Which is a little bit like saying, if a person cheats on their spouse, it gets found out. And as a result, they go to marriage counseling and end up with a better marriage. Does that mean the affair was good? No. If someone is bad to you, but in the end, by talking it out, things get better. Does that mean the bad thing that was done to you is good? No. The end. When it comes to does the end ju- when it comes to does the end justify the means? The means get their own judgment. They get evaluated on their own. So Paul is very quickly kind of answering questions that he's heard about his gospel. And then the passage continues and there's a lot there that we could unpack and we could spend hours and we won't but he lands on verse uh, 21 to 26 and many scholars have said this is one of the most important paragraphs that has ever been written in history Um, and it he's again going to call us to understand who is this god who is who does have make promises to people who is faithful who is just Well, God is also righteous. What is this righteousness of God? And he rattles off this theologically thick paragraph that we're going to unpack that says, this is how good God's goodness is to us. So, verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, because we haven't been able to. And it was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets from long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Verse 23, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. We're so going to unpack three concepts for for righteousness. Verse uh, starting with verse twenty-four. Through Jesus, we have been freed from the penalty of sin. The word there in some translations is redemption to redeem. So what does that word mean? Well, sometimes the word redeem means exchange. I have a coupon for a free ice cream cone and i would like to redeem my coupon so i give my coupon to whomever and they give me ice cream right it's an exchange that's not the meaning of redemption rather the word redeem is the word used for freeing something it's the word used for purchasing a slave from an owner so that the slave can go free So in secular Greek of the time, that's where we see this word. So it's exactly what our folks in Pakistan are doing with those in the kiln uh, who make bricks and are in economic slavery. They save up some money. They go to the person who owns these slaves and says, I will pay off their debt. Here is $500. Their debt is free. This person no longer is bound to you they can leave that's the word redeem so jesus pays what is owed on our slavery so we can go free that's a that's a stunningly beautiful concept the second word the second way uh This passage describes what Jesus does for us. We're set free. We're purchased to be free. Second one, verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Some translations say the sacrifice for atonement or propitiation, which means to turn aside wrath. And yes, that's a hard word to say. It means to placate somebody's anger. It means to calm them. You ever been so mad at somebody, somebody else needs to help you calm down? it's that so chapter 1 has said there's chapter 1 of romans has said we are all under god's wrath so we know god is mad how can we avert god's anger like what can we do to stop god from being angry because god's anger is not irrational it's not like an emotional i've had too much sugar and i'm just kind of running around he's he's giving us a proper response to our rebellion against him. We were bad and attacked him and hurt him. It's a just response. What are we going to do to make that right? Are we all just going to decide to behave perfectly according to his law from now on? Because we've already learned that none of us have been able to do that through all of history. So God provides his own solution to the problem. He provides his own sacrifice to deal with the wrongs done to him. So the idea, the idea that um, somebody has to die, that someone can die for you, is all through the Old Testament. It's all part of the sacrificial system that some animal dies in place of the crime that you did. So in God's justice, when he gave Jesus to die as sacrifice for us, he's not... Um, when he's doing this, he's acting to create justice. So he's not just forgiving, oh, I can just forgive. He's actually resolving the problem of injustice. So if someone commits a crime against you, and if it was just ignored, is that right? No. It would be like saying, well, there's no real difference between right and wrong. Well, the same is true for God. Someone has to deal with the crime against him. And so he provides the sacrifice so that the crime is actually paid for so he is just and also the one who justifies you ever um, you've been in a spot where you know you've done something wrong and you've had to face it and you know that there's consequence the consequence is going to hurt and you just wish someone would do this for you You're like you know i just wish someone else could take the spanking i just wish someone else would, you know, could, would have to go talk to my boss. It, that's what this is happening. God is saying, yeah, someone else actually will, will take you off, let you off the hook, like we'll take your punishment for you. And so that idea then leads into our third idea, verse 25b. This sacrifice shows that God is being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. It shows that God was being fair. It demonstrates it. He does justice. So you can imagine folks in the Old Testament and even folks today who don't know anything about Jesus, don't know how it all works out. They see somebody do something wrong. God forgives them. And they go on their way, and they be like, "Wait, how is that fair?" The answer is, well, this is the payment. In Jesus is the payment for that crime. You know, you can't just be let you can't just be set uh, set scot free. No, you're right. This is the payment. God is demonstrating. He's showing you that crimes get paid for. Bad gets atoned for. Jesus pays the price. So there are three ways of looking at what. God is doing through Jesus that show he is righteous. He redeems us from slavery. He pays the penalty on our sins so that we're set free from slavery. He presents Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. And then he demonstrates his justice. This is part of God's righteousness, the good that he does on our behalf. So if you ever hear a friend talking with you and they're trying to justify their behavior... They're trying to defend themselves and prove that they're, that they're good people. You can say, you know what? You don't have to be good. Let me, let me explain how Jesus takes the penalty for the mistake you made and pays it so that you can be free. Let me tell you how we all know we're all bad, but there is a way to be made right. I was driving with Jerry the other day, and I was turning on Broadway. You know, Broadway's got that really large middle section. And, um, I was, I had turned on, you know, I've got my green light and I'm waiting for this, all this traffic and there's a truck coming and there's a guy talking on the cell phone in the corner. Yeah, that's all good. And there was, you know, your wait, and you sort of forget what light you're on and, and who has right of way. And so there's a truck, a space just, be, just before or after the truck. And I decided Kid, time's to, time, it's time to go. And now the guy who was talking on the cell phone is in the middle of the street. <laughs> I'm like, and I kind of, I didn't yell at him. Like, I had words. Come on, buddy, what are you doing there? Bah! And he hops away, and we drive, we continue driving, and I'm like, ah, stupid. And then I get about 10 seconds further. I think that was my fault. And Jerry's like, yep. <laughs> he goes, I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> There's, it, like, it's freeing when you're not afraid to say, oh, I made a mistake. Like, it's freeing to say, oh, that was wrong. I was wrong. And the, especially when the guy with you was like, "Yeah, that was. I mean, no one got hurt and you know we've all we've all done that kind of silly thing. The price has been paid. It's okay to be wrong. God's making us right. So before I ask, what has the spirit been speaking to you, what's been catching your attention? let me review where we've been. Does this good news about Jesus? About being made right before God because of our faith in Jesus, does it undermine God's promise to His old to His people in the Old Testament to the covenant? Uh, You know, I thought they had special privilege. They do. They had the responsibility of taking care of His word and a privilege within that responsibility. Does this good news of Jesus undermine God's faithfulness to His people? God's faithfulness is to Himself and to His character, to His plan. It is not God being faithful to help you get what you want. If I make a mistake, does it make if I make a mistake, if my mistakes make God look good, why am I guilty? Because the end does not justify the means. And to add further, what does faith in Jesus show? It shows that God is redeeming us from slavery to sin. He gave Jesus to satisfy his own anger, and he's demonstrating that he does make things just. He does not ignore sins. Um, he just has given someone else to pay for them. So what has caught your attention this morning? Where, where's your thinking? What has the Spirit been sort of poking and prodding and drawing your attention to?
2: I think the the older I get, the more I realize how much God has paid for in my life. But it is so freeing to know that it is paid for yeah, that we can move forward from it.
1: Yeah, God is a God of second chances.
2: Yeah. Nice. Uh, Finley's often used the term, I have become a Christian. Well, what is the difference between being a Christian and being a non-Christian? I think that's what Curtis has been talking about there, um, that God's grace or undeserved favor, we didn't deserve it. He sent Jesus to die for us, and forgive us. When we trust in that, that Jesus died for us and that he forgave us, then we've moved from being a non-Christian to being a Christian. And that's what was going through my mind this morning. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate your explanation of what it means that the Jews are a special people. I've never heard that explanation mm-hmm. before. It's a conversation that I have regularly with someone and their view of what makes the Jews a special people is like really extreme. Like that kind of throws a different light on that whole question.
1: Yeah, it's great. Thank you. It's kind of ironic, I guess,
0: (laughs) is how I felt today of like, we come here, we read, we get things explained to us, and then we kind of like talk about it at like a cerebral level. And today's sermon seems so, like that passage seems so like, Look at the mental gymnastics that your culture has created around beliefs. And let me just like show you like the whole passage just seems like it was trying to get into their mind and be like, do you see how your mind is like making all these traps for you? Yep. And God made it so simple for your spirit to just be freed from that. Oh, I love it. And then it's funny because then we're all in here like discussing it and... I don't know, it's just like funny to me of like, we're still, I guess I just feel like we're living that. Like what he's saying right now, we're like living and like we should just be
1: freed from our mental beliefs and our baggage. I love it.
0: It's kind of comical,
2: so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a tricky passage because he's, I I found it tricky because he's summarizing, I think, conversations people have had. And it's like, I don't need to explain the whole conversation because I know you've been talking about it. Remember this sentence? Remember that. Moving on. So... So people like me get to go, okay, culturally, what's going on?
3: I think Leah's right. We are not the first culture that is brain forward as far as, and obviously he's talking to Greeks and he's talking to Romans and those, they were very brain forward cultures, right? Jews were more balanced as far as like understanding that the the spirit was important too. But Charles and I were talking this week about the fact that it's tricky for people who grew up in a Christian home to understand grace. And to really understand forgiveness at a profound level because for many of us, and this is going to sound really ridiculous, so put quotation marks around this, you've never done anything really bad. That's not actually true, but it feels like, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. I've never, you know, like whatever, whatever big list, right? Um, And so... I think a Christian parents like how else do you get to the inside of a kid you you try to apply the, stra- the the standards from the outside and hope that they soak in and the kid absorbs them and then you know internalizes those values but often I think growing up in a Christian home you interpret that as if I do these things correctly mom and dad will be pleased with me and then things will go better right um, or the principal at school or whatever like you you, you think that behavior equals how I how i score points how i am a good person and so in a different way i think some people who come from a really profoundly you know destructive background may have some advantage Mm -hmm. over some person who grew up in sunday school blah blah blah, because that person can see the clear difference the before and after they can see it like i they 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 experienced it where somebody who's always been like trying really hard to be a good kid you know and growing up Like you never, if you're not careful, you never get over that. And you never realize that um, the profound relaxation of being able to stop all that work and just be like, okay, you know, I, I, I am that it's okay for me to admit that I screwed up, that I sometimes really suck on the inside of me and I'm not letting you guys see that or that I have some terrible thoughts in my car as I'm driving, or, like, whatever it is. And it's like, no, I didn't kill anybody. But but I have, you know, you might say, but I have really murderous thoughts towards my neighbor at four in the morning when they're having a party, or whatever, like, whatever it is. Um, and, and that stuff matters, like, who you really are and what you've got really going on. If we can't even admit that, because we're still trying to be good on the outside, you're, you're, you're basically missing out on one of the biggest pieces and the biggest um i don't use the word benefit but the, the biggest blessings of being a, a follower of christ is the relaxation that comes from being able to stop all that posturing and trying and whatever and it, it feels like our world even those who don't believe we there's so much energy going on in this city right now people saying some version of I, it's not my fault It's not actually wrong it's not it doesn't matter because it's his fault like some version of all those things which take a lot of energy so to finally lay it down and go yeah that sucked that was yeah i i did that i'm sorry you know that's it's actually profoundly relaxing even though you think you're gonna die right up until the second you do it
1: yeah that's great
2: just want to respond to a number of the comments i've made i mean this has been great this morning in response to what's the difference between a Christian and non-Christian. It's very, very small, but it's huge. The only difference, the real only real difference between a Christian and non-Christian is a Christian knows that through what Jesus has done, God has forgiven them. That's the only difference. But I liked the term, the, the mental gymnastics, and, and that, that's what's done to try to To explain it all, and it and it's not necessary. It's it's totally unnecessary.
1: I love that this just as you're talking this idea that God is grace. I mean, he he does grace. Grace is something you do, but he loves. He wants to rescue, like he wants to set free. Like this is who you know God going. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. Like you know, picking up Christine's word, relax.
2: Like accept. Just. It basically, you know, a, a Christian knows who Jesus is and who God is. I'm talking about how it's more difficult for somebody who's been brought up in the church, and I have seen that so many times. I remember a woman who you know I know really well and really like, and her getting up and saying, you know, I don't know how to give my testimony because. Like, my life, I've never done anything. So she struggled with that. When I was doing prison ministry, that was one thing that really struck me. Those guys knew what grace was. They understood it precisely. Nobody had to tell them they were sinners. They knew it. I think that there's lots of people sitting in pews who can't figure out what they need to be forgiven for.
0: So uh, there were a few things that struck me this morning. Uh, I guess the first thing that struck me this morning was once again, how much uh, God has kind of embedded the, the natural structure of himself into um, the way he's built families. Um, and just uh, the idea of he is faithful to himself and his plan and to his character. And you see in um, kids especially kids who have become part of the foster care system, who have some kind of trauma, that it's the inconsistencies in their parents which cause the most Mm -hmm. hurt and the most hardship over time. This is reflected in uh, their attachment styles, how they interact with people throughout the rest of their lives. And the one thing that is most important, whether their parent knows how to parent really the the primary thing that's most important is are they consistent Mm -hmm. because then you can form your responses as a child to your parents and so the fact that god his whole thing is he is faithful to himself he is faithful to the things he has set out the plan he has made his character that is so important and so amazing because then we can respond. That's our job.
1: What a wonderful! I hadn't, I, that's a wonderful um, analogy. I am not sure Analogy is the right word, but I hadn't thought about, yeah, you're right. For child development, consistency in parenting, like when I say yes, I mean yes. When I say no, I mean no. Yeah. Very. That's, that's great.
0: And then the other thing that struck me later on, In Romans 3 verses 5, but some say our sinfulness serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? What a childish response. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But we see it everywhere. What it brought to my mind is, uh, so humans as a whole have a very troubled history with our ethics around medicine and discovering how people work in the 30s. And then again in the 40s in the US, they knew that these men had syphilis and they didn't treat it for 40 years, just to see what would happen. Even though they had the medicine to do it, it was an easy, it was one pill, they were fine. They didn't do it, just to see. And then in the concentration camps in uh, World War II, they took children, they took twins, and they experimented on them just to see, just to, to. And the results of those experiments are still used because the results themselves are good information, but the way, the place that it started is horrendous and unethical and unforgivable for.
2: Understood. Yeah,
0: you know. It doesn't change that the outcomes are valuable. It changes whether they're ethical and whether they should have existed. That was that was where my mind headed this
1: morning. Well, that's great. That's great. Okay, let me offer a prayer and we'll close with the song. Father. Once again, Lord, you have glorified yourself in this gathering. Um, Lord, one thing I notice is how you have stitched together a theme, once again, stitched together a single theme through our whole gathering about asking questions. And um, yeah, I just, I thank you. I thank you that, Lord, even for, I thank you for the comments that we have talked about in discussion to your word and how... and beautiful and really simple what you have not simple but simple to understand what you have done through Jesus for us in rescuing us just I praise you for this Jesus thank you for being the one who stood in my place who stood in our place when the real bad stuff happened Holy Spirit Please continue to remind us of the good news about Jesus in in our daily life. Remind us that it's okay to be wrong. Remind us how easy it is to apologize. Remind us that the Father is righteous and is working good in us and that we can trust him. Lord, may our lives bring glory to you. May we be aware of your smile upon us as we enjoy as we as we enjoy living, um, reconciled with you. Thank you for today. We love you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom please use the contact us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.